0: All right, we are in Romans, and I want to welcome our internet uh, audience. Thank you so much for being a part of what we do here. We greatly appreciate it. Someday when you're down in Naples, I hope you'll stop in and visit us. We'd love to see you and have you be a part of this as well. We're in Romans chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, and you know as by way of introduction that Paul is writing this uh, to a group of people he has never met. He's writing to this church in Rome probably about two hundred people in that church, Uh, and uh, Rome is a city of a million people. There are about 50,000 Jews at this period of time in Rome, and so uh, this is a a very unusual group of people that have committed themselves to Christ, and so he is writing this great theological treatise, which many people believe is the seminal treatise on Christianity, Um, and uh, really, uh, really outstanding. And so it explains to us what the gospel is about. And he really is speaking about the gospel of God, the gospel of God. You know, we call it the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it was God that foreordained it, who who gave the responsibility to Jesus to be the incarnate Savior. And so it really is the gospel of God along with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you would turn your Bibles to verse uh, 5, chapter 1, Romans 1 uh, chapter verses 5 through 8. Through him and for his name's sake, and that's Jesus, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Um, and, uh, so this is this section of verses, and much of Romans is about grace, grace. Uh, and you know grace is unmerited favor. For us as human beings, we get a hard time understanding grace. Because it, it goes against the grain on everything that uh, humanity is built on. Humanity is built on the concept of meritship, right? Meritship, meaning what? If you're good, you get something. If you're bad, you don't get something. You do good works, you're promoted. You don't do good works, you're demoted. And grace has nothing to do with that. Grace is the unmerited favor of God given to you for no other reason. Other than the fact that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, and it becomes the motivating factor uh, and the glue in everything that we do uh, as Christians. Now, interestingly, one of the words that comes up here, and I didn't, didn't write about this in in the lesson, but I, you know, I always continue to study even after I write these things, is the fact that he refers to the Roman Roman Church as saints, uh, and what's happened in Christian uh, jargon over the centuries is that the terminology saints has been misapplied, okay? Misapplied because uh, really, you know, the Roman church refers to saints as certain people who did a lot of of good works and then they go through a policy and they go through a a due diligence and check them out. uh, And and after a while, after they've, they've done a certain amount of good works, they get the you get to the point of where they can be promoted to becoming a saint, uh, and that that's an exalted status. Well, here you see him using the word saints as to every saved member of the church. You all are in New Testament terminology saints. You are the saints. You are the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that's that's important about that. So the key words of verse five. Um, in the NIV, translated as to, quote, the obedience that comes from faith. The obedience that comes from faith. So if the kind of faith that you have does not lead to obedience of Jesus Christ, then it is not the faith that the Bible is talking about, right? Because the faith that the Bible is talking about is the faith that convicts you and causes you to be obedient to Jesus Christ to be obedient to God. That's the faith that we're talking about here. Not an intellectual understanding of the theology of what it's about, but rather the heartfelt connection of the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. And knowing that he died for you on the cross, it is that faith that causes us to be obedient. Uh, If you don't have that particular faith, then you cannot be joined to Jesus Christ. But if you do have that faith, that convicting faith, uh, then you are joined to the body of Christ and you are saved forever. Now, when we look at today's churches, and I'm not saying this church, I'm saying the universal church, uh, when we what we find missing in many sermons about faith in Jesus, Jesus is the notion of sin, the notion of sin. A lot of churches don't like to preach about sin. You know, you start preaching about sin, and all of a sudden, there's not that many people in the pews. You know what I mean? Well, I don't really like to hear about that. You know, I, I, I like to roast the marshmallows and sing kumbaya, bring out, the, bring out the guitars, we're all going to heaven. But I don't like to hear about sin. And so it's important to understand sin, uh, because that's what separates us from God. Uh, and and sin is not just uh, in what I do that is wrong, but it's also uh, what causes me to have guilt and pain afterward, and effectively, sin is rebellion against God. All right? That's it. Rebellion against God. It is in the fact that we as humans like to do our own thing. We think we can be the captain of our own ship. We don't like to take orders. We don't like to be submissive and bow uh, to the will of of God. And so as we refuse to uh, bow to the will of God, we're guilty of sin. And so it is rebellion against God. It is refusal to listen to the voice uh, of God. Um, And it's turning your back on God. And when you do all those things, you are immersed in a life of sin. You're immersed in a life of rebellion, even if you don't know it. Uh, And so here, Paul is saying that when you give yourself up to God, when you give yourself up to the Lord Jesus, and God through his grace gives you the faith to do that, uh, and that's exactly a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God, uh, and when he gives that to you, you then now recognize that you are convicted when you step out of line, that when you sin, that you recognize that you're, that you're violating God's will. And all of that is because of the faith that you had. It is the very faith that God gave you that becomes the operational compass of your life. Can I get an amen on that? All right? That's the faith that God gave you that becomes the operational uh, uh, compass of your life. And this is the way Paul preached. He preached this, and we see the evidence of this in his great sermon on Mars Hill, uh, to the Athenians, uh, and there he said, and, and let's turn that Acts chapter 17, because this is important to study this, Acts 17, verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men, by raising him from the dead. And so the recognition here as he's preaching to these pagan people is that, look, God has allowed you to live for centuries, uh, and he he has not really called you to justice. But now he is, because he sent his son. He refers to him here as the man who he has appointed. Well, it's Jesus Christ, and he's raised him from the dead, meaning the day of excuses is over. You are commanded, you are compelled uh, to accept Christ, you are compelled to become Christians. And if you do not do this, then there will be a day of justice. All right? Now, you don't hear this preached, okay? We don't hear this preached. There are consequences of us not accepting Christ Jesus. That's hell, okay? It's not merely hell uh, when you go from this life. It's living in this world that this world becomes hell when you don't accept Jesus Christ. So there's a very serious uh, line in the sand here that Paul is drawing and indicating that all the centuries in which God has basically uh, allowed us time to do our own thing is now really coming to an end. Uh, And so in God's name, Paul commanded the Greeks to repent of their sin and turn toward Jesus. Uh, And I'm sure they, they had not really thought of their lives as being sinful lives. You know, they thought that they were involved in high high philosophy uh, and civility uh, and concern, and yet there they were steeped in sin because human philosophy is of no consequence whatsoever, nothing whatsoever. And so the weakness of much of current uh, contemporary Christianity can be traced to a deficiency right at this point, right, which I'm talking about. That is by failing to present the gospel as a command To be obeyed, we minimize sin. All right? We minimize sin. It's like like we we extend the, the philosophy, the thought of becoming a Christian, but we have to emphasize to people it's the command of God. You're commanded by God to accept Jesus Christ. And when we don't do that, we trivialize sin. We trivialize discipleship, and we rob God of his glory. That's what we do. We rob God of his glory. We do not obey God, not because we cannot obey Him physically, because we will not obey Him. You got that? We will not obey Him. In our own mind and our own will and our own determination, we will not obey God. It's that simple. Uh, and so uh, Paul is addressing this issue, addressing it in the church, addressing it for all Christians uh, for time immemorial. And so Here, for the first time, uh, the word grace appears uh, and it becomes important. Uh, And and he talks to us. He he will talk about grace extensively. And so here is the point of what we're talking about here. The gospel is not bad news. It's not bad news. It's good news. It's It's not bad news. Yes, you're informed that you're steeped in sin. Yes, you're removed from from the body of Christ. Yes, you're not a child of God, but there's hope. There's an answer. You can address it. It's simply having faith in Jesus Christ and accepting him as the son of God, and suddenly the bad news becomes the good news. It's that simple. It becomes the good news, Um, and it becomes the very context of everything that that Paul preaches. Uh, And so the first time the word grace appears in this letter is in verse 5. It will occur again just two verses after that in verse 7. In fact, it will be found a total of 22 times in this epistle. 22 times Paul will use the word grace. And it's one of the great words of Romans and one of the most wonderful concepts that you can have uh, as a Christian. The word here is occurring because Paul is stressing the lordship of Jesus Christ and the necessity of obeying God in response to the demands of the gospel. Look, here's how grace works. It's very simple. Here's how it is. You have determined at some point that you're lost in your sin, in the muck and mire of sin. You can't save yourself. And so in that moment, you reach up and say, I need a Savior. And as God hears those words, uh, that identification of self, that you were lost. God pours faith into you through grace, through unmerited action, because you didn't deserve anything. You deserve to go to hell. You deserve to be destroyed. You deserve to be lost. But instead, as God hears that, he gives you the faith to accept Jesus Christ. He pours that faith into you through grace, through, through no merit of your own, and allows you to to be saved uh, forever. Uh, And and we escape the wrath of God, we escape condemnation, and instead we find the one who in our place bore God's judgment. And let's understand something. God has a judgment, all right? And the only reason we're escaping his judgment is that Jesus Christ paid for our sins, and now he rules over us. Um, And, and, you know, one of the things that I want to emphasize with you is the understanding at this point of the Lordship of Christ. He is Lord of everything. He is Lord of the universe. He created everything. And now he's the Lord of every aspect of your life. He's the Lord of your physical being. He's the Lord of your mind. He's the Lord of your talents. And so what we have to bow before him and say, Lord, purge the thoughts that I have that are not consistent with your will, Lord. I want to make you the Lord of every aspect of my life. Uh, And I spoke about this last week in which I said you need to pray about every decision in your life and ask God for his will in your life. Um, and, And so no one understood the grace of God better than Paul himself. Why do I say that? Because he recognized who he was. He recognized what his past was. He knew that he violated the Christian church. He knew that he tried to destroy the church, put many people in jail, was involved in in the execution of of innocent uh, men uh, who who had done nothing other than being Christian. And so you can imagine that burden that he carried, that that's what he did, but knowing that the grace of God reached out to him on the road to Damascus. How about that? As bad as he was, as far as he was from the will of God, <clears throat> through the grace of God, because God knew what he would become, that grace was poured into him and allowed him to change his life. And look what he said, really, about where he had been. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 to 10. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Now look at this. This is a guy who's going to write almost two-thirds of the New Testament. Well, you talk about humility, because he understood where he was. And don't kid yourself. He was burdened with that. He was burdened with that. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me—I love that. I worked harder than everybody else, all right. But it's not me; it's Him. It's what He had in store for me. What He had in mind for me—the grace of God. You see what the grace of God does. Can you imagine what it had to be like for Him to be associated with the early Christian church, knowing that He had persecuted them? That He would—I'm sure when they would have dinners, He would look at 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 women who who. Uh, were widowed. Why? Because he had sent their, their husbands uh, to prison and maybe to death. And he looked at children and saw them, that they were orphaned and understood. Do you imagine what that was like? Why do you think it was like when he says that, he, that after spending three years in, in the Saudi Arabian desert uh, and then preaching for a time in Damascus, he, he went to Jerusalem. And while he was there in Jerusalem for 15 days, only Peter and James would meet with him. What do you think the others were? You think they were on vacation or on a trip? He was radioactive. You understand radioactive? They remembered him. They knew about him. Okay, it's all right. He can get up and preach, but we remember this guy. And we still don't trust him, all right? And it was only the grace of God, really, Jesus, thank you, the grace of God that can allow him uh, to preach and to do that. Listen, I can say this in my own life. You know, when I first started to, to preach and, and, and teach, it, w- it was difficult for me. Not that I, I didn't have the ability, but I remembered where I was. I knew about how I had lived. And it wasn't that I had lived a life of excess. It was just that I was in the world, all right? I was a practicing lawyer in the world. I knew what I had done in court and how I'd ripped people apart in court. How hard was it for me to get up and to preach about the love of Jesus Christ? You understand? How hard was it for me? Because all I kept being back was convicted. You, 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 you get up, you speak. Who are you? I'm nothing. All right. Let me say it again. I am nothing but for him, but for him, the grace of Christ. And that's the way you should feel in every aspect of your life. Yes, you don't elevate yourself. All right, you're not great because you're a Christian. You're great because Jesus died on the cross for you. All right, and don't ever uh, misunderstand that. This guy understood this concept better than anybody else because he lived with the pain of knowing what he did, and it's only the grace that takes the guilt away. You got that? Because guilt can be metastatic, all right? Guilt can be metastatic. We all have guilt. We've all done things we shouldn't have done before we accepted Christ. We've all made mistakes. And it's that permeating guilt that metastasizes in your body that causes you to be paralyzed as a Christian. And so I'm saying to you today, you have to ask God for a greater measure of grace. Lord, help me. Break this bondage of guilt. You have called me. You have saved me. You know, I'm attached to the body of Christ, not because of anything I did, but because of what you did for me. Amen? I mean, this becomes an important message. And so you see this guy really drilling down in this. He could never forget what he had been before the grace of God. He had been self-righteous. He had been cruel. He had been arrogant. He had been fighting against the goads of God, the goads of the spirit. What does that mean? It means that when he was struck down on the road to Damascus, I am convinced that for months before he was being convicted of his conduct by the, by God himself, and he was ignoring the goads. He was ignoring the goads, and Jesus said it himself. You've ignored the goads of the spirit. But now your day of reckoning has come. He'd been trying to destroy God's work by his perception, his human perception, all right? His human perception. And this is an important point for you to remember right now also, even as we come to this seminal point in this church. Set aside your human perceptions. Bow to the will of God. God gave you an intellect. He gave you the right to speak out. But then there's a time that we close ranks that we unify under the banner of Christ, all right? Yes, you have the right to have some thoughts and differences of opinion, but then there's a time when the curtain comes down. And the curtain came down for Paul on the road to Damascus. That's when it came down. He had understood this, but God had stopped him flat out right there on the road to Damascus and brought him to a current thinking of of his mind and poured grace into his life, so that he could make the right decisions from that point forward. He had been disobeying God, even though he thought he was obeying God. But when Jesus revealed himself to him on on the road to Damascus, the rebellious will of Saul was broken. And that's what I pray for me and what I pray for you, that we don't let the arrogant, self-righteous nature of humanity guide ourselves, that at some point we say, Lord, it's you. You're the Lord of everything, including my mind and my will. I give everything that I have to you, Father. Uh, And so there Paul was brought to his knees right there before Jesus. And there's only one answer to how it occurred. It occurred because of the grace of God, the grace of God. How great is the grace of God? It's so great that the greatest opponent to the infant church can be brought to his knees, who will then become the greatest apostle that the church could ever see. How about that? That is the grace of God. And I'm up here because of the grace of God. All right? There's no other reason other than the grace of God that he would call me out of practicing law all those years that I had all those courtrooms in heaven, yet I said, man, it's over. I have a greater call for you. It's the grace of God, and it applies to each and every one of you, not just me, not just Paul, but to all of us. This is what the grace of God can produce. Only a gracious God could do that. Uh, And so it's important for us to understand this. Uh, and, and really see the power of grace in our lives. And so what's happening here to us today is that we can easily fall into one of two wrong premises when we present the gospel. Either we present the gospel as something is so easy and simplistic that it fails to deal with sin and doesn't really produce conversions, or we present a harsh gospel of forgetting that it is only the love of God and not the condemnation of the law that wins the soul of anybody. Uh, and so we become ambassadors to Christ, of Christ because of the grace. I want you to turn, if you would, also as we drill down understanding grace to Titus chapter 2. Titus, also written by Paul, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Really a, a succinct discussion of grace. Verse 11, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. What does grace do? Grace helps you to be godly. It is convicting. It is a compass. As as God pours his grace into your life, it helps you to live the kind of life that God wants you to live. It teaches us to say no to sin. No to sin. Why? Because he's poured his grace into our heart, uh, just as he's poured his Holy Spirit into our heart. No to, to sin. No to the passions of the world. No to living like the world does, uh, but rather to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in the present age. How about that? And I want you to think about the Roman congregation, these 200 people that are living in the, in the middle of a sin-infested Roman city, full of pagans, idols, uh, and every, every type of sin. Sounds like America, doesn't it? Uh, and here they are, this small group of people are living upright lives. And that's what you are today. You're living in a world that's full of sin. You're living in a, full, a, a world that's full of depravity. But because of the grace of God that has called you, He's given you the strength to say no to the world. He's given you the strength to say no to sin. He's given you the strength to say yes to a godly life, to live the kind of life that he has in mind for you, to do that in every possible way. And this becomes a key word in the theology of Paul. Uh, God's grace is unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. You did nothing to get it. You deserve nothing but the wrath of God, but because you reached up at that moment, he gave you the faith that you have, and he poured the grace of God into his, his life. It runs Grace runs counter to every understanding of the human condition, every understanding. We can't get it through our thick skulls that our creator would do this for us. It's so strange to us as human beings. Uh, but we need to understand this. And so it's the very grace of God that brings salvation to all people. This is how you're saved. You're saved because God gave you the grace to be saved and to accept him. Uh, and and uh, the thing is, is that God does it for everybody, but only those people who accept him and recognize that they're lost have that fundamental pouring of grace into their their life. Uh, and that's why not everybody is saved. Not that God has determined or willed that only a certain number would be saved. John 3.16 tells us that's not the case, whosoever, whosoever, but only those who willingly accept him, willingly say, God, help me, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. They have the grace poured into their life. And the major hindrance to getting this is self-righteousness, all right? When you see people that that you can't speak to about accepting Jesus Christ, the fundamental reason is they are self-righteous. They don't think that they're sinners. They don't think that they need a savior. And it's very simple from God's perspective. If that's the way you think, then you're not gonna get the grace to understand who he is. It's only when we bow to him. And so before you can appreciate God's grace, uh, you need to know that you are justly under his wrath and condemnation. That's the gospel of God. You're under condemnation, all right, as we all are. Uh, But grace intervenes. Uh, Spurgeon had a great phrase, great preacher, English uh, preacher Spurgeon. He would say that you know that the rope is around your neck, but God's grace cuts the rope even though you are guilty as charged and deserved to die. How's that? Is that a good one? All right. You're walking around with the rope around your neck. You're destined to die outside of God's will, but it's the grace of God that cuts the very cord that cuts that. Uh, and so it's God's grace that trains us uh, who are saved in godliness, instructing us as a child is instructed. Uh, not only does it include teaching, but it includes correcting, and discipling. That's all within the ambit of grace. It's a process that begins um, in salvation and continues to go until they put dirt on you and you stand before the Lord. Every day of your life, that grace continues to permeate you as God continues to pour it in. Uh, And and it's a training, disciplinary function that God is instructing us to godly living, and that's what Paul has taught us. Uh, in every aspect of Romans. Uh, And grace trains us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Look, we're we're still carrying around flesh. And as we carry around flesh, it's that flesh that, that separates us often from walking with God. But it is the grace of God that focuses you on the kind of life you need to live. It motivates us to please him in every way and to live the kind of life he he wants us to live. It motivates us to study the word. It motivates you to come to this class. It is the grace of God in your life that is motivating you to do this and to keep you away from the perils of the world. Uh, And it includes saying no to ungodliness. All right? And you need to ask God for grace in ever-increasing uh, portions in your life. Uh, it, it, obviously, it, it's not just people who are immoral, but it's all, even a nice person who will act uh, in some untypical way uh, with no place for God. It's all included. It's basically saying no to the world desires, meaning what? Meaning, look, you can get ca- caught up in, in the pursuit of affluence, in the pursuit of wealth in the pursuit of pleasure, in the pursuit of all the things that the world has to offer, and never show up in church. You wonder why, in many cases, God hasn't blessed you more than he's blessed you with some of the affluence? Because if some of you really had been given greater portions of affluence, you would never darken the door of a church. Never. You'd be out on your boats, on your vacations, experiencing every pleasurable act that you could be, but never once bowing to the will of God. It's the grace of God in your life that causes your attention to be brought back. You understand? It's the grace of God training us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this this age. Uh, And not only that, it is the grace of God that causes you to look ahead because you know where you're headed. You know the region where you're going. You're going to heaven. You're going to be with Jesus. You're going to be with your loved ones who've died before, and it is the grace of God poured in your life that gives you that understanding. And so you see this great study that we're going to be part of here uh, through Paul, this man who persecuted the church, who was destroying the church, and yet the intervention of God on the road to Damascus, the pouring of grace into his life that suddenly turned him 180 degrees, Turned him. Turned the direction so that he would become the seminal, missionary, evangelical uh, teacher of our uh, body of work. Paul. Paul. When we get to heaven, go and find him. Go and speak to him. Go and speak to him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for for this people, these great people and their Great hunger and thirst for you, Lord. I ask you that you take this lesson that we've heard and let it grow and resonate in our hearts. Let us get tr- be drawn closer to you. Let us have a greater understanding of what grace is about, Lord. Now be with our people, protect them this week, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.